Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. Um, I just wanted to thank everyone for the positive feedback on my first episode. I didn't think it would go so well. To be honest, I, I felt a bit awkward. I still do feel a bit awkward about uh, talking to people who I can't see. Um, but everyone was super nice and uh, it, it just really warmed my heart for everyone to listen. Um, I hope everyone's week is going well. My week has been a little bit, you know, spotty. Uh, my work hasn't, I haven't had a lot of shifts, which is a little disappointing, but it, it's given me free time to start this podcast. Um, so I, I guess let's get right into it. Today we're going to be talking about the infamous, the awesome Madam C.J. Walker, also known as uh, Sarah Breedlove. Um, she she's a very interesting figure. I hadn't heard, really heard of her when I um, decided to do her, but um, there is a, a show on Netflix right now called Self Made, and it's about Madam C J Walker. So uh, I watched it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a bit about it as we go over her life, because you know there are some inaccuracies, and I just want to straighten that out. If you're gonna go watch it, which you should, because it's it's very very good. So, uh, she she was America's first female black billionaire, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Now, the math is a bit spotty on that, but people do claim her to be the first uh, millionaire, and she's very fascinating, and I hope you guys uh, love learning about her as much as I do. Let's get into it. So, Madam C.J. Walker was born on December 23rd, 1867. Her her birth name was Sarah Breedlove. And being born on December 23rd, it not only makes her a Christmas Eve Eve baby, uh, also makes her a Capricorn. And as I've been uh, known to do uh, so far with all of the ladies whose birthdays we know, I'm going to tell you about the personality of a Capricorn. And it kind of just hits it like right on the head for Madam. So uh, Capricorns are known to have strong and pragmatic personalities, and they don't really take no for an answer, which you're going to kind of see with Sarah as we go through. Uh, They put a great price on education and learning and how to deal with people, and they are rather sociable, which I think is interesting. So uh, Sarah was probably born near Delta, Louisiana. We're not really sure. I saw a couple of things that said she might have been born somewhere else in Louisiana, but most people seem to agree that Delta is probably where she was born. She was born on uh, the plantation that her parents lived on. She was the fifth of six children. Her parents were former slaves. Uh, Sarah had actually been born two years after the emancipation Emancipation Proclamation, uh, and she always talked about how she was the first in her family born free, which made her feel super special. Now, if you don't know anything about American history, uh, America two years prior had just come out of a little thing called the American Civil War, and um, the Emancipation Proclamation had been passed at the end of that war. So I'm not going to talk uh, for too long about the American Civil War because most of it isn't even really relevant to uh, Madam's story, but um, we, we're still going to talk about the Emancipation Proclamation because, after all, it did free her her siblings, and her parents. So, uh, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 in the middle of the American Civil War, which illegally freed all the slaves in America, but the problem was, uh, the South were, uh, being little bitches, and they, uh, as racist people are wont to do, uh, they 
didn't free any of their slaves, and they wanted to keep them, because, you know, that's what the whole war was about. Uh, but eventually, when the war ended in 1865, uh, the president uh, kind of ratified the proclamation, and when the South lost, they were kind of forced to free all those slaves. Now, 3.5 million is kind of a rough guess of how many slaves there were in America. Um, I've heard 4 million, I've heard 3 million, but we're going to go with the nice number in the middle called 3.5 million. So, uh, like I said before, Sarah came from a very large family. Well, I, I guess kind of large in, in my eyes. Um, she was, like I, I believe I said before, the fifth of six children. So she had an older sister named Lavinia. She had three older brothers named Alexander, James, and Owen Jr. And she had a little brother named Solomon, who I believe was born one or two years after uh, she was. Um, her parents' names were Owen and Minerva. I really like the name Minerva because it's the goddess of wisdom in Roman mythology. She's kind of the double for Athena, if you uh, know what I'm talking about. Um, we don't really know that much about Sarah's parents. What we do know is that they were probably born into slavery, which is a kind of a rough guess, but they probably were. Um, they probably met on the cotton plantation that all their children were born on. Uh, one thing that we do know about Sarah's parents is that they died very young. We don't know, we don't really know what either of them died of. Her mom died first when she was about um, six or seven. Her mom probably died of cholera, which was super rampant in that area of Louisiana at the time. So that's probably what she died of. And then actually that same year, Sarah's father got remarried. I don't know <laughs> uh, anything about Sarah's stepmother because there was like literally nothing about it. It just said he got remarried. And then um, Sarah's dad unfortunately passed away uh, the next year and I don't know what he died of because <laughs> no one wrote that down. Um, I'm not really sure how Sarah felt about her parents' death. I imagine she was probably really devastated. She did say years later when she did talk about her parents, which she didn't do very much, that she said she had little no opportunity when she started out in life, having been left an orphan by the age of seven. So I imagine that was really detrimental to her life, and I just can't imagine losing parents that young. Um, normally I'd go into uh, Sarah's education, but she really didn't have one, unfortunately. Being the child of former slaves, uh, they weren't getting education in the first place. Um, I did read something that uh, Sarah stated herself, that she had a really, really basic education. She went to Sunday school a lot when she was a kid, but other than that, she really had no education, which is unfortunate because she did have quite a love of learning, which I'm going to go into in a bit. After Sarah's parents' death, she went to live with her big sister, Lavinia, who was married to a guy named Jesse Powell, and Sarah went to live there probably in um, 1877, and all three of them ended up moving to Vicksburg, Mississippi. Um, it was where uh, Sarah got her first taste of domestic servitude. Um, life after emancipation was really hard for former slaves, and even children who were born free, like Sarah, um, had a hard time getting by. Lots of women, like Sarah, chose to be uh, homemakers eventually, but 
laws made it difficult for black families to have a good single income, so women were forced to work very hard in crappy jobs for very little money. Uh, Sarah did this. She picked, probably picked cotton and probably did housework for extra money, but we don't have any documentation of that. And while Sarah was working and living with her sisters, she was abused really bad by her um, brother-in-law. And I, I don't really have much record of this. Sarah never really talked about it, but the fact that we do know that she was abused by her brother-in-law, I'm not really sure uh, if uh, Sarah's sister Lavinia did anything to help. Um, but it was also... Uh, around this time while she was living with her sister and her brother-in-law in 1882, she was, she got married at the age of 14, and I read conflicting sort of, um, things about her first marriage. There were a couple of things that said that she was, um, forced to get married to her first husband, but there were others that said she got married to her first husband to escape the abuse from her brother-in-law, but, um, anyhow, she did get married in 1882, we do know that. Um, her husband was named Moses McWilliams. Uh, again, we don't know very much about, um, her first marriage. What I could find out was that he was a laborer. He was about seven years older than Sarah, and they only had one child together, a girl that Sarah named, and I'm probably gonna butcher this, I've been practicing all day to make sure I don't screw this up, Alilia? It's, it's spelled A with a apostrophe? Is that an apostrophe? I'm not quite sure. Uh, a capital L-E-L-I-A, which is a very pretty name. I apologize if I'm pronouncing it. Pronouncing it wrong. Um, and then two years into the marriage, um, Sarah's, like, no longer married to Moses, so I also read convict conflicting reports on how their marriage ended. So uh, Moses either died, which seems to be the consensus among uh, most historians about her, or he left Sarah. I'm I'm not sure about that because um, I, I feel like if he was alive and he had lived to see Sarah's success, he probably uh, would have tried to uh, scapegoat on that because her second husband did, and we're going to talk about that uh, later. So after Sarah's uh, first marriage either ended in death or her husband left her, uh, she moved to St. Louis with her daughter, and she moved there to be closer to her older brothers. Uh, she didn't have enough money to support her and her daughter uh, by herself, so she started her job as a washerwoman. Now, being a washerwoman back then was really, really difficult. She earned less than a dollar a day, but in her free time, her brothers, who were actually, I believe only two of them were barbers, but I, I haven't really, uh, figured out if that was true, um, her brothers taught her her first lessons about hair care. Um, while she was in St. Louis, uh, her brothers died. Now, I'm not sure if it was all three of them that died, or it was just two of them. I couldn't find anything about that. Um, Sarah was really, a really good mother, and you can see that in all the stuff about her. She was really determined to send her daughter to school, um, because she thought it was very important to give her daughter, Alelia, everything she never had. 
which is is very sweet and I love that about her. So in in actually in the uh community neighborhood uh that uh, Sarah lived in at the time uh a music style called ragtime music was developing. Um I looked it up. It was kind of like a offshoot of jazz and I I listened to some of it. It's very good. I I liked it a lot. And uh Sarah started singing at her local church and this is also where she started to yearn for an educated life like some of the women she met at church. Now, I uh read some stuff that Sarah uh did night classes while she was in St. Louis to get uh her elementary school well, I guess it would be considered elementary school sort of education. She wanted a basic education for herself. And uh now we get into husband number 2. Uh so while Sarah was in St. Louis, she met and married her second husband in 1894. His name was John Davis. Again, we don't really know much about John Davis. Um what we do know is that he worked as a washer like Sarah. Um and uh we pretty much don't know anything other than that uh except for the fact that they ended up separating in uh, about 1903. Um, according to Sarah's great-great-granddaughter, um, Alilia Bundles, um, Sarah's daughter's school records show spotty attendance uh, during the marriage. So that can mean a lot of things. Um, Alilia Bundles thinks that um, little Alilia Walker's... Uh, stepfather was acting up or Lelia could have just been sick but a lot of people seem to think that he was probably a drunk i heard that he might have even gone to jail at some point but i can't uh, attest to that so also while sarah was working as a washerwoman as i said it was a very very hard job uh sarah started to suffer from dandruff and alopecia and other scalp problems um it was probably due to her lack of hygiene because this was the time when most Americans especially black Amer- Americans lacked basic plumbing. And um this caused Sarah a lot of stress around this time and uh, this was super common not just for her but tons of other black women were having the same problem and I think this is definitely what inspired her to uh go into hair. So uh in 1903 after Sarah's uh, separation from her second husband Sarah met Annie Turnbow Malone. Uh Annie was a very successful black woman in the hair care business. Um unlike what was shown in the biopic Self-Made about Sarah's life, um their rivalry wasn't really much of a rivalry. It was like really like a professional rivalry. Um Sarah did learn a lot from Annie about the hair care industry. Um, and like I said, they weren't very bitter rivals. Uh, while working for Annie, she did move to Denver, Colorado in 1905 to sell Annie's hair care products. So uh, Annie in the show, I believe she's called Addie. It's been a while since I, I watched the show. I believe she's called Addie in the show. And uh, one of uh, the big kind of like plot points between them is that uh Annie is a light-skinned lady and uh Madam is is not she's very dark skinned lady she's played by Octavia Spencer 
clap, clap, clap for Octavia Spencer. Um, and one of the big things about them is that Addie doesn't want, um, madam to uh, sell her products because she doesn't have the right look which uh, didn't happen i've looked at pictures of both uh madam and annie and i don't really see any difference in their skin color so i'm not quite sure why they did that maybe it was just to kind of like stir up like entertainment for the audience because their rivalry wasn't nearly as bitter as it was uh shown in the show um also in uh, Denver, Colorado, Madam uh, met her third and final husband, uh, Mr. C.J. Walker, which is where she gets her famous name from. Uh, they got married in 1906, and this was about the time that Madam kind of uh, strayed away from Annie's company. She started developing her own formula for uh, hair care. And actually, Annie did um, accuse Madam of stealing her formula. Uh, but there's not really much basis on that because um, the base for uh, Sarah's product was like a sulfur sort of jelly base. The thing was, uh, this uh, had been kind of an ingredient in like hair growers for like years and years so uh there, there's not much basis to that so uh sarah's husband cj was a uh advertising guy and he took care of the advertising where sarah sold her product door to door and taught black women to style their own hair sarah had her daughter put in charge of the mail order system uh sarah was super adamant that her daughter have a big part in the company and to give Alelia the skills and education that she never had, like we talked about before. Um, and it was also during this time that Sarah started selling her products to the southern states. She was she was a very good businesswoman, and uh, I think that's why her company would eventually uh, take off. Okay, so speaking of success, in 1908, Sarah had her family move to Pittsburgh, where she opened her first beauty school. Uh, it was also a salon, and she called it Lelia College after her daughter, which is adorable. Uh, she had this done so she could sell her products and she could bring women in to be hair culturalists, uh, which is the ladies who do hair. I'm not really sure why they don't do they still call them hair culturalists? I bet they do. I don't know. I don't work at a salon. Um, uh, Sarah made it a very big selling point when she started her uh, beauty school. It, it was a place to give women better jobs because, like I said before, black women were doing a lot of uh, menial labor like cotton picking and being a washerwoman like Sarah was. One of her big sticking points was that women would have a good paying job where they'd be paid four times more than they would have ever made as a washerwoman and it would also make them proud of what they did. So it was also during this time that uh, husband number three, CJ Walker, he fucked up um and he wasn't supportive. So, in the 1910s, Sarah's company started to uh, pick up speed, especially after the opening of her uh, hair college. Um, Sarah's husband began to feel inadequate in the company, which, as we know, ladies, is small dick energy. Um, because Sarah was the driving force of the company. His name might have been on the company, but she did all the work. And, um... 
you know, I really had high hopes for CJ because in the show, he is so sweet. He is such a good guy until he starts drinking and feeling inadequate. And then he just kind of goes off the rails. Uh, apparently, the actor who played him is kind of like a veteran of playing bad husbands on uh, TV and movies. So apparently, people thought it was kind of a spoiler when he was cast as Madam CJ's husband. I, I found that funny. It's not really relevant. Uh, CJ actually started a f- an affair with one of Sarah's salesmen because Sarah had a lot of uh, salesmen that she pushed out to sell her products so that, you know, she didn't have to do it anymore. The salesman's name was Adora. CJ also started drinking really heavy, and Sarah got super sick of the cheating and the drinking, and they separated and eventually got divorced in uh, 1912. CJ actually ended up uh, marrying Dora, and they tried to start their own hair care company to kind of, like, rival madams. Uh, safe to say, it didn't work. Uh, their company sort of crashed and burned because, you know, they just didn't have the same... What is it? They weren't the same kind of power couple that uh, Madam and CJ were. Um, After CJ divorced Dora, CJ blamed Dora and the alcohol for his poor decisions. He even wrote a public apology letter in 1914, and when Sarah heard about it, uh, she remarked that their troubles had started well before the affair, (laughs) which is a mic drop on Sarah's part. So, uh, right after this, um, after about two years in Pittsburgh, Sarah decided to establish her main headquarters in Indianapolis. Uh, her daughter stayed back to run things in Pittsburgh, and they even opened a new salon in Harlem, which was, um, a very booming, uh, neighborhood in New York in the 1910s. Uh, Sarah bought a factory at the same time, which was the main headquarters of her business. Uh, She had a place to make her products. She even uh, started a training school for uh, her salons, and she actually called them Walker Girls, and that was kind of a big part of her brand. Uh, There was also a laboratory built for research. One of the great things was most of their uh, key positions in the company such as, like, management, were women. She created tons of jobs for women who would have otherwise been doing worse jobs, like I said. Um, As Sarah's company began to grow, she became world-renowned for what was eventually called the Walker Method of grooming your hair. So I'm going to kind of talk about the method because I I found it very interesting. I thought you guys might find it interesting. So, um... They kind of, like, came in, like, little kits. Like, I've seen pictures of them, and they're pretty cool. It included a shampoo to help with your hair growth and the applying of hot combs. So, while Sarah didn't invent the hot comb, she kind of popularized its use for um, grooming black hair. Because it helped kind of, like, straighten it and smooth it out. Um... Sarah claimed her method would make hair soft and luxurious. So, um, as success does, a lot of companies tried to imitate her, and this included Annie Turnbow Malone, like who I said uh, accused Sarah of uh, stealing her formula, but um, most of that formula was pretty much the same. So, as Sarah began to um, accumulate more money from her success, uh, she started some activism and philanthropy. 
which I want to talk about because she was incredibly generous and she helped like so much with like black education. So uh, there was this thing back in the day called the Negro Business League of America, which was kind of like it was like a convention to promote black businesses. So Sarah spoke uh, more than once there. Um, she wasn't a keynote speaker, actually, the first year that, uh, she went there. She was, uh, just a vendor, I believe, and, uh, she was, like, talking to people on the floor of the convention and telling people about her product, and she actually made, uh, such an impression that she was invited back the next year to, as an actual speaker, um, and she was also probably the only female black business owner there, because I couldn't find any, uh, record of any other, uh, female businesswoman being at that convention. Uh, Sarah helped raise funds for the YMCA in Indianapolis. She actually built quite a few YMCAs for, uh, Indianapolis and other cities. Uh, she also donated to Tuskegee College, uh, which was a, um, I believe it was an all-black college. I believe it was a black, uh, men's college. Uh, I probably should have done more digging into this, but I had heard of it before. You know that scene in, uh, Night of the Museum 2? If you've seen it, where those, like, black airmen are walking by and they're like, the Tuskegee Airmen are on the march. That's where I'd heard of it. Um, Sarah also donated to tons of black churches and uh, she gave big donations to several black girls schools. Okay, so what I want to talk about, so I mentioned, like, just a, a bit ago about uh, Sarah's opening of her salon in Harlem. So Harlem in the 1910s is, was way different than what we think of, of Harlem today or even what we thought of Harlem 20, 30 years ago. So back in the 1910s, Harlem was a cultural center. You might have heard of this little thing called the Harlem Renaissance that your uh, teachers probably drilled into you in English class. Um... So the um, neighborhood had been built in about the early 1880s, so like about uh, two decades after uh, slavery ended, and it was meant to be a white middle-class neighborhood, but the problem was that overproduction of houses uh, led to a lot of houses being empty, and landlords started to get super-duper desperate. Desperate. That's the word I'm looking for. Desperate. Uh, So landlords started trying to attract, uh, black homeowners, uh, who were fleeing the Jim Crow South, because there was this, uh, kind of great movement of a lot of, uh, southern, uh, black people to northern cities like New York. Um, so a lot of middle-class black families started moving in, especially there was a neighborhood, like, uh, to the left of Harlem, I think it was to the left, that they nicknamed Black Bohemia. I'm not quite sure what neighborhood that is now in New York, but a lot of uh, black families came from there. And because of this large uh, movement of uh, black people to Harlem, uh, the white people who already lived in Harlem uh, tried to get all the black people kicked out because, you know, racist people do that. Um, It did not work. (laughs) Um, So a lot of the white people moved out, and by the end of the... 1920s, Harlem went from being 10% black to 70% black. Um, Harlem also produced lots of music like jazz and a vibrant nightlife. Um, 
while it was 70% black, the rest of the percentage was mostly made up by Italians, Jewish people, you know, like all the other immigrant flavors of white people. Um, okay, so I want to talk about, speaking of Harlem, um, Sarah ended up moving to uh, New York in about uh, 1913. She wanted to focus on the Harlem Salon because it was doing super duper well. Um, oh wait, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. Uh, Sarah joined her daughter in 1916 out in New York. Uh, she left day-to-day operations of her company to the trusted people in Indianapolis. So, uh, Sarah commissioned the, like, the first ever, I guess he was the kind of the first ever black architect called, uh, I'm gonna butcher this name, Virchner Tandy to design a house for her in Irvington, New York, which is about, I think it was about, no, it was quite a while outside of New York, it was like a really like posh neighborhood, and also a uh, fun fact, she lived right next to J.D. Rockefeller, which is like really cool. Um, originally, Sarah only had the house built as a meeting place for black leaders and to inspire other African Americans to pursue their dreams, but she actually ended up moving there in July of 1918. And while in New York, she actually became very political, especially during World War I. She funded a camp where black men could be properly trained, and she gave several speeches on the place of black Americans in American society. So, like I said, uh, Sarah moved there with her daughter, Alilia, and Alilia had been there for quite a while, and she was a very successful businesswoman in her own right, and a sociolite. Uh, she hosted fabulous parties at her townhouse in New York, and she was nicknamed the Joy Goddess of Harlem in the 1920s, later in life. And, uh, Alilia had nearly beaten her mother in terms of marriages, having been married three times already, but she had no kids. Um... So I want to talk a bit about Alilia's sexuality because in the show she is portrayed as liking women. Now, I don't want to put down this theory because I like it and I think it it's cool if she was gay at all. I'm not quite sure where the rumors came from or why um, the show decided to portray her this way. Um, Alilia had a lot of queer friends who she was very comfortable with. Um... The theory might have come out of the fact that she had never been able to settle down and have a family. I don't know what side to sit on this. I don't want to say that she might have been gay if she wasn't, because to be honest, we don't have any solid evidence either way. She might have just been like an ally, you know, like a real cool person who was super cool with other people being gay, which was uh, cool of her uh, either way. So uh, good job, Alilia. So... Uh, now we're kind of coming to the end of Sarah's life. Um, in April of 1919, Sarah got really sick, and on May 25th, 1919, Sarah passed away in her New York home. She died of kidney failure and hypertension. Uh, Sarah was buried in a cemetery in the Bronx. Her gravestone is very small and simple. I looked at a picture of it, and it just, like, doesn't look like a gravestone of a person who was, uh, this cool. Um, it just says Walker on it, so you, like, literally never know that she was there. Um, the company 
Her whole company was given to Alilia. She became president until Alilia died, and Alilia eventually passed on the company to her adopted daughter, May. Now, I wasn't able to find very much about Alilia's uh, daughter, May. I do know that uh, they adopted her when she was about a teenager. I'm not quite sure what happened to her parents, because in the show, uh, they they mention her parents and say that she still has them. Uh, but I read that she was an orphan uh, in my research, so I'm not quite sure, and, uh, May is the, uh, she's the, she's the, yeah, she's the grandmother of Alilia Bundles, who is, a very, kind of, uh, slave to her craft on researching her great-great-grandmother. So, uh, let's kind of go into legacy. So, Madam, she really changed the game for Black Beauty. She gave Black women better jobs so they wouldn't have to settle anything for anything less than they deserved. Um, I kind of want to talk about the TV show because, like I said before, if you want to watch it, you should watch it. Because it's very fantastic. So, I think that Octavia Spencer did a fantastic job portraying uh, Madam C.J. Walker. Um, I'm not black, I'm white, but I felt super empowered by the end of the show because she was just, like, so cool. And if if I had to... I know this is weird. I'm going to put her in a Hogwarts house, and if I had to uh, sort Madam myself, I'd say she's definitely a Slytherin. She was very ambitious, and she was uh, super wanting of a better life for herself, and she was very determined. She was not gonna, uh, back down from what she thought she deserved. Oh, and I, I wanted to, uh, also mention, I almost forgot about this, I said I was gonna talk about it, um, when Sarah died and her estate was being split up, her second husband, John Davis, came out of the woodwork and tried to, uh, claim some of her money, which is a douchebag move, and I'm glad he didn't get any money. Um, one of the things that I didn't really like in the show is the fact that they kind of made colorism a very, like, large plot point when it wasn't really, like, relevant. Like I said before, Addie or Annie, uh, the showrunner said that, uh, Addie was kind of like a combination of a lot of black women, uh, in that same industry at the time, but I just really don't think they should have, uh, focused on colorism as a kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting walk through Sarah's life, and I hope you, I hope you guys enjoyed, uh, talking about it. Um, yeah. Hey guys, just before we go, I wanted to let you know that I have a poll up on Twitter to decide my next topic because I am very indecisive. You have the choice between, uh, Dido Bell Lindsay, who, uh, is another black woman, so if we do her, uh, next week, uh, I'll be doing two, uh, women of color in a row, which is really cool. Then we've got, uh, Catherine of Aragon, who I'm gonna have to split into two parts if we, uh, do her, because she's got a lot to unpack. And then there's, uh, Charlotte of Wales, who is an English princess, who I think you guys might enjoy learning about. Um, my Twitter is, uh, Long May She Reign 2, and the N- in rain is replaced with a two, so it it would really be helpful if you guys went out and voted on that and uh, helped me out. Uh, thanks. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you wanted to hear about a certain lady, just DM me on Twitter at Long May She Rain Two, and remember, Long May She Rain. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye.